Hey friends, and welcome to the Johnson City Living Podcast, where we talk about the people, places, events, and flavors that make Johnson City, Tennessee a lovely place to live. On today's episode, Johnson City's hottest neighborhood restaurant is Timber. It has everything, burgers, tofu, outdoor seating, a fire pit, and a chef whose food career started out at the haagen in his local mall. Today we're talking with Chef Nathan Brand, the man behind Timber. Nathan tells us how moving out of the Atlanta suburbs into the funky college town of Athens, Georgia, opened the door to a career creating experiences for other people, from events to coffee to fine dining. He also tells us about why he bailed on his lifelong dream to be an English professor and why he chose to get involved in local government in Johnson City. And make sure you listen all the way to the end when I put Chef Nathan through a lightning round of off-the-wall food and drink pairings. We had a lot of fun. You're going to love this conversation. So here's my interview with Chef Nathan Brand from Timber. Well, Chef Nathan Brand, thank you for coming in and welcome to the Johnson City Living Podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Let's start kind of at the beginning. Tell me about where you grew up. Well, um, I was born um, in Los Angeles, California. Wow. Uh, my parents were living there. They were going, both going to graduate school. Okay. Um, we didn't live there long. Um, after that, my, uh, my dad actually was working. Um, we moved to Seattle. My dad was working at the original Nintendo factory oh, man. very briefly, which we, he, he and I talk about a lot. Yeah. Um, but he, he hated that job. It was just kind of assembly line and pretty simple and not his field. Yeah. Um, and he um, pretty quickly after that got a job um, in Indiana as the chaplain at a college. Oh, and cool. so we moved to like middle of nowhere, Indiana for a few years where my brother was born. I'm the oldest of four okay. kids. So um, my brother was born there and then... Um, Around 1990, it became time to um, move to Atlanta, where my dad got a better job. Yeah. Um, and my mom, uh, while holding a graduate degree in um, uh, administration for like universities, always stayed home with us and homeschooled us. Okay. Um, and that started about the time that we moved to Atlanta. Um, and I grew up in the suburbs of Atlanta. Um, that's really, you know, I, I could talk by the time I moved there, but... I only have a few members memories of Indiana. But, okay, um, we grew up in Gwinnett County, yeah. um, really, really developing area. Um, they were very suburban. You know, David Brooks would ca- probably call it exurban. Yeah, um, but it was uh, it was really special. We had an eighth of an acre garden. We had a little ranch house out there. Um, my dad really didn't make any money. He always worked for the church. Yeah, so we were always pretty strapped. Yeah, uh, but we grew all our own food. Which cool. was something that I hated when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but now I, I was like so deeply appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah but grew up in uh, grew up there and um, w- was homeschooled until high school, okay. um, and then went to public high school, um, where I really struggled the first year, uh-huh. as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, then after that, I kind of got my act together and really thrived. Okay. And I really enjoyed it. Great. And ended up going off to. Um, uh, public college, University of Georgia. Okay. Yeah. Okay. In Athens. And, and is that where you first got your, your first food experience was, was in Athens or? You know, I actually, it was where everything clicked for me for okay. sure. But before that, I, um, you know, when I was 14, I started working at the haagen at the local mall food court. Really? Yes. That was my first job. Oh, cool. Um, my dad took me around to the uh, mall food court and was like find yourself a job and yeah. I just went up to the counters and like smiled and shook hands and handed them I don't know if I gave my resume or whatever yeah. but um, I got hired by this really hardworking um, Taiwanese immigrant named Pong and he you know sp- didn't speak the best English but he really busted his ass yeah. and I learned a lot about hard work from him yeah he was an amazing person yeah um uh, and I really enjoyed working for him, but he didn't pay that well. And so I, and also, um, it wasn't the f- most fun work environment for me. I was 14. I like, it was less about the money and more about the fun. Right. right. And so I, um, there was a Cold Stone Creamery just down the way in the same mall. Okay. And they had like, it was like well lit and there were cute girls working there. And I was like, <laughs> I think I'm going to go work here. Yeah. And I ended up doing that until I was 18, 19, something like that. So you upgraded to Cold Stone from the yeah, hot It was fun. Yeah. I was, I became a manager and, you know, was in charge of making the ice cream, which wasn't all that, um, 
all that difficult, but, you know, I did learn a little bit of responsibility and, you know, it was a good time. It was a good time. All high school kids. Yeah. Um, it was a lot of fun. And actually every, all of my other siblings ended up working there. No way. Yeah. So we have a cult son dynasty. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It was pretty cool. So do y'all, when you get together, you just sit around and, and talk ice cream or eat ice cream when you're all together? Ice cream is unequivocally my favorite food. And yeah. I, yeah. It always has been. And I actually had to start, I was gaining so much weight that I started running cross country because I would eat so much ice oh, cream. Oh man. Yeah. I was talking with my wife the other night, like I'm trying to lay off the ice cream yeah. for a couple of reasons, but but like, why is it so good? Like, it's so oh, it's good. Amazing, man. It's an amazing, amazing food. My dad, so my grandfather, uh, Grandpa Box, or Grandpa Brand, my dad's dad, okay. um, he, every night when we would go visit him, he would like turn on the TV and make himself and all the boys these huge bowls of ice cream and yeah. we'd just sit and like watch baseball, yeah. watch the Braves. And my dad still does that. He still eats a big bowl of ice cream. And when I was a kid, um, you know, working at uh, Coldstone, he would make me bring home ice cream for him every <laughs> night. So I think it's a, a, you know, there's a universal love in my family. Absolutely. But it is an amazing food, and it's still the only dessert that we have on the restaurant at the, on the menu at the restaurant. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to have to dive into that in a little bit. Um, so, okay. So early experience in the mall, yeah. um, selling ice cream. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so where did you go from there? Well, when I went off to the University of Georgia, I had the Hope Scholarship, which was really cool. Yeah. So th- something that's a big deal in Georgia. Uh, back then, you had to have a B average. I think it's a little more difficult now. But um, I had the Hope Scholarship, but it's, I still, you know, coming from a poor family, I just still needed money. Yeah. And so I uh, got some student... Um, like some student work, um, work study program stuff. Yeah. And I got to work in the office of the president of the university who at that time was Michael Adams. Okay. Um, and, uh, I helped to plan his events. Okay. Um, so, you know, I didn't really have any responsibility. I made name tags for fundraising events, or I would go and help set up tables and tablecloths and help caterers unload. Um, but it was a really fun job. A lot of young kids, um, you know, my age in college that were, um, I think a lot of them were maybe more interested in that side of things, whereas yeah. I, I was just, it was just a placeholder for me, mm-hmm. but I really fell in love with the events, um, aspect of yep. things. And I also was able to, um, pick up some side work for some of the people that I, I'm, you know, encountered doing caterings and stuff. Okay. Um, and that was really fun. And I learned, um, you know, what makes a good event. And I learned what what makes people comfortable and things like that and how to plan really well. Uh-huh. Um, the, the university at that time was going through a, a massive, massive fundraising initiative. I think, um, I can't remember the exact numbers, but Michael Adams was the number one fundraiser f- president for the university in that university's history. Okay. Um, and they're still building buildings based off that money that oh, they wow. raised. Yeah. So and, mountains of money while you were there. Yeah. And he was traveling the world, you know. Um, but at the same time, I had the added benefit of taking his freshman seminar class. Okay. So he taught, um, uh, the class was called Politics in Georgia. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a history. Um, and that was an amazing class. Um, I don't know what a lot of those kids are doing now, but we were all very interested in politics. Yeah. Um, I grew up with my parents watching the West Wing every night and I just loved it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, I, I had asthma, really bad asthma mm-hmm. when I was a kid and was pretty scrawny, um, but ended up having to find a way to grow out of that and push myself. Yeah. Um, and my parents introduced me to Teddy Roosevelt who kind of had to go through a similar experience. Yeah. So I really loved, um, those stories and those people. Um, of history when yeah. it came to politics and taking Michael Adams class was amazing, really eye opening. Um, it was pretty cool because it came with the special benefit of being able to attend a couple of games in the president's box. Oh, at not the bad. UGA. Yeah. So it, it was pretty cool. You know, you're hobnobbing with congressmen and um, big business owners and yeah. it was fun. It was a really, really good time. Yeah. Yeah, talk about eye-opening for, for a number of reasons. Like you said, you learned what makes a great event. Yeah. Um, how to move people around at an event, just like all the dynamics of, uh, of doing a, yeah. a, a solid, you yeah. know, successful event. That's really interesting. It was cool. But at the same time, I was working at um, the coffee shop on campus. Okay. Um, and I, that was really the thing that started connect, to connect with me really deeply. Athens, Georgia has a very um, rich local business community. Yeah. Um, it contributes um, to culture in really, really big ways. And um, it's also conversant with other small business communities across the country. Mm -hmm. Um, And so whereas sometimes you can feel like 
certain places, maybe they're, the things that they're doing exist in a vacuum um, and are specifically designed for their market. The restaurants, um, the coffee shops, the breweries in Athens really were contributing to the national conversation about food and beverage at the time. Yeah. Um, and that really connected with me because growing up in like the suburbs, everything was a chain and yeah. there wasn't, yep. there was, you know, we weren't friends with anybody that owned a restaurant because the, the companies owned the restaurants. Yeah. So that was really, really special for me. And that coffee shop, I mean, we were, it was on campus. And so, um, it was maybe the busiest coffee shop in the state. Wow. Um, it was pretty crazy, but I really, really thrived. I could remember everybody's order, everybody's name. I was really good at it. Yeah. Um, I could make really good coffee and espresso drinks. And same same thing as um, working at the mall when I was a kid. Really great work environment. Like, yeah. A lot of smiling, a lot of jokes, a lot of fun times, a lot yep. of joviality. And I really thrived. I mean, I just totally fell in love. And I was... Um, pretty visible, you know, I was on campus making your coffee every single day yeah. and uh, I was really happy doing it and I really developed a reputation around campus and everyone kind of knew who I was yeah. and I found that I really enjoyed that. Absolutely, um, yeah. And that was really fun. So yeah. that kind of launched me on the rest of my journey. Okay. Fascinating. Um, it, it, it seems to me a coffee shop environment would be, uh, it'd be stressful for me, yeah. but I, I imagine there's just the the energy that, that keeps you motivated and, and, and you kind of step up to those challenges of I've, I've got to get this drink right and I've got to get five drinks out in the next, you know, two minutes or whatever. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, with class change, it would be dead, 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 <laughs> slow, so slow, and then absolutely slammed for 20, 30 minutes and yeah. then dead, dead, dead for another hour. Yeah. So it's pretty crazy. You do all your business really, really quickly. Even in that setting, did you get to sort of know people by their by their drinks and by their oh, yeah, yeah. And I talk, you know, this is a really common thing with bartenders and coffee shop people, but if you're really good at it and you're really, and you're really fluent in the, the language of it, I, I may not know your name, but I definitely know your drink. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I'm still like that. I mean, I would see people walking down the street in Athens, or I, I guess now, you know, now that my restaurant's been around a yeah. while, I know what people are going to order before they order it. So wow. I'll just start making it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a awesome. great feeling. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. Um, okay. So, so, what happened next? Where'd you, where'd you go from there? From working in the coffee shop at, at Georgia to what, what came next? Well, some some state level changes came next. So the um, the state changed the way that um, that I think they changed the minimum wage. I okay. guess around that time, um, but the coffee shop did not change our minimum wage. So we had what was a really good job. We were making really good money. I think that we weren't declaring tips for some reason, which okay. was legal at the time, and that changed. And so what became like a pretty high-paying job became like an average job. Okay. Um, and the company was not very uh, – Jittery Joe's still around. Um, they were not very upfront about that, and so and that made a lot of us very angry, and so a lot of us left. Okay. Um, and I was a manager, you know, that was kind of always my thing. Um, I, I liked being the leader. Yeah. I felt like I was pretty good at it. And so um, I left, but I loved coffee. So I decided to go try to step up my game, and I went to work at Thousand Faces Coffee, okay. which is also still around in Athens. Okay. Um, and they were a really small boutique roaster at the time, owned by a few people. Um, one they they basically founded the company to sell this one farm's coffee okay and then they branched out and started selling other farms coffee yeah but they were almost like a grassroots organization i mean they were just like really really small had a tiny roaster but they were doing really good stuff and they had people that really cared so i got in with them and they opened a cafe inside of a beer bar mm -hmm. and i worked there for a really long time uh well you know like nine months it felt like that's, forever. yeah you know, that's college long time that's college long time and i Absolutely fell in love with it. Yeah. And um, there, I found out there was this thing called the National Barista Competition. And actually, um, you know, when I was working for Jittery Joe's, they took us to, um, this is a pretty good story. So they took us to Atlanta where the World Barista Championships were happening that year. Okay. And it was stunning. I mean, 10,000 10, people or more, uh, people from all over the world, so many languages, farmers with their coffees, importers, distributors cafe owners, um, equipment manufacturers, all these people. Um, but the, the kind of the centerpiece, like the real fun uh, thing that happens there is the competition. Yeah. Um, and all the best baristas from so many countries in the world compete. Um, but they have, and there's three stations, um, and they kind of compete um, on this big stage. Um, but 
they also will make their coffee off at this fourth station just for free just to give away and just oh, nice. like to practice kind yeah. of and this guy um, this British guy was making coffee and made me this cappuccino and it absolutely blew my mind hmm. and I was just like wow this is so good and he won the World Barista Championship <laughs> the next day and I was like oh that's what world class coffee tastes like I just okay. tasted it and okay. I didn't know yeah. and I could recognize that it was really special I have a good palate yeah. and so um, we decided, me and my, uh, one of my buddies decided, well, we all competed in the regional competition, uh, which I did abysmally at. But I was a really good taster. Uh-huh. It wasn't a really good, it's a, I won't get into all the rules, uh, which have now changed, but it was a really intense competition. Yeah. Um, and, but I was a really good taster. So one of my buddies placed and he went to the national championship, which was in Houston in 2011. Yeah. And I went with him as his palate coach. And so we would make coffee all day long, the same coffee from the same farm. Yeah. Um, because we were worried about compression and decompression, we drove to Houston instead of flying our coffee. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, to purely because we were worried about the beans. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we were mega nerds and had this amazing time in Houston, got to go to um, some amazing bars and restaurants that I wouldn't have gotten to go to, met all these people, and um, just tasting the same product, the same coffee over and over every day and making tiny changes really honed my palate um, in a really big way. Yeah, I'll bet. Um, and he ended up placing like 15th or something out of 50, so he did pretty well, um, and yeah. I was a part of that, and that was really special. Yeah. Um, but by the time I came back from that trip, I realized, like, I'm interested in more than just coffee. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested in flavors in mm-hmm. general. And so I started to um, think about maybe working in a restaurant. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's fascinating about the coffee competition. Um, uh, yeah, just just amazing. So let's pause there for one second. A, yeah. a, a layman's introduction to a, to a barista competition. Yeah. Uh, just in, you know, in twenty seconds or less, what is it? What does that look like? Well, there, um, we'll just you know, there's three stations, like I said, but we'll just talk about one. Um, there are four judges. Um, it's set up like a, a little cafe, so there's four judges in stools that sit at a bar, and in front of them is a barista, an espresso machine, a grinder, a knock box, a trash can, like the basics that you need yeah. um, to make coffee, a little refrigerator with milk, stuff like that. But the barista is tasked with really telling a story and giving a presentation over the course of 15 minutes. There's also a head judge, a calibrating judge, who comes behind and tastes everybody else's drink. Okay. um, To make sure that they um, are, that there's not a massive variance. Uh And then you're scored in a really intense way. So there's those four sensory judges, the head judge, and then there's two technical judges that judge your technique. Like how well did you grind? How much coffee did you waste? How much milk did you waste? Um, things like that, and there's wow. really intense score sheets that they keep. So they they physically inspect your 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 leftovers, basically yeah, the, yeah. the trail that you leave. They're yeah. they're inspecting and that. They're too. right up in your face, like watching you and taking little notes. It's very unnerving. Wow. It's really intense. So the, it has changed a lot because yeah. you know the coffee world has changed. But in 2010, 2011, the rules were that the basic rules were um, you have 15 minutes. You uh, well, you have 15 minutes to set up. Yeah. 15 minutes to serve. Okay. And you had to serve four espressos, four cappuccinos, and four signature drinks that could not contain alcohol. Wow. But had to contain espresso. So you were making 12? In 15 minutes. In 15 minutes, which is really fast. It's yeah. tough. It's, yeah. You have to do it perfectly cleanly and like no waste and all that kind of stuff. So it's really intense. Yeah. Um, and all that, those constraints, you know, one of my biggest things um, that I always tell my staff at the restaurant is, you know, good creativity comes from good constraints. Yeah. And those constraints really push the industry really hard. Um, and there was a lot of good that came out of that. Wow. Yeah, it was really cool. So I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, um, you know, what, what could you bring out of that? Um, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it yeah. seems like you would, you would walk away from that with, um, with a realization that, that little differences matter. Yeah. Um, that that you can't just kind of wing it. I mean, you yeah. can wing it, but um, but if you if you dial in on excellent ingredients, excellent execution, and things like that, that stuff it really matters. It does. But you know, the thing that that I the other thing that I took away was that you know in that presentation you're presenting a specific coffee, mm-hmm. and a lot of times you're telling the farmer's story. Mm-hmm. You're presenting a specific milk. Mm-hmm. And pre- presenting that farmer story, mm-hmm. and um, the best competitors could um, really execute 
but they could also tell the story at the same time. Yeah. And that I think was the thing that stuck with me. I mean, that's the mark of a true professional, no matter what it is, Yeah. is that you can kind of talk, but work at the same time and, yep. and put out the work that you're making and the conversation that you're making are both really excellent and great. Yeah. And that was something that I re- really continued to chase throughout the rest of my career. And so you came back from the, from the barista competition, starting to think, okay, well maybe there's, maybe there's more, maybe I want to go deeper into, into some other things. Did you feel when you were in college, was there, did you have career expectations from either on yourself or from your family? Did you feel like, or, or did you feel free to just kind of explore what you wanted to and go where your interest took you? Well, I think it was a little bit of both. Okay. You know, I, my parents were very uh, special in that they did not push me to um, do better than they did in life mm-hmm. or to make more money or anything like that. Mm-hmm. They just wanted me to be happy. Yeah. I mean, they really did. Um, but they I don't think they ever figured that me being happy would mean dropping out of college, which is what I eventually did okay. without graduating. Yeah. So um, that was that really threw them for a loop. Uh-huh. Um, that was tough. Um College was really tough. I mean, I'll be honest. College was tough. I didn't have a lot of support structure. Um, I felt like I, um, you know, I didn't have any money. Like my parents weren't, mm-hmm. couldn't really support me very much. They had three other kids that yeah. were about to go to college too. Yeah. And so um, it was tough times emotionally for me, for sure. Um, I grew up wanting to be a college professor. That was my dream. Okay. Um, I always wanted to teach English at the university level. Yeah. I was a, a super literary nerd yeah um and i had an amazing time chasing those dreams i got really into poetry and poetry composition i I studied um uh, english and specifically american literature pretty in depth Mm -hmm. specifically american poetry and i really fell in love with um that discipline but at the end of the day i was I wanted to be able to do something with my hands. Like mm-hmm. I, I felt like I could talk really well. I could think well. Mm-hmm. Um, I could argue well. Could read well, but I could. I didn't actually have any, any skill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I saw. Um, I think one of the biggest things was I saw all these grad students as I was considering, you know, what my next path might be. You know, in my freshman or or in my sophomore junior years. Um, I saw how miserable the English grad students were. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were all my friends. I would host poetry readings at my house mm-hmm. for the professors and things like that, and and the grad students, and they were just so miserable. Like oh, they no. were so poor, and they were so overworked, and they had yeah. to deal with all these terrible snotty nosed kids like me. <laughs> and I just didn't want that life. Yeah, I didn't want that life. So, and then when they did get a job, um, you know, it was wherever they could possibly get a job. Yeah. It was yeah. they had almost no agency. Yeah, and so I just decided I'm just not doing it. It's just not worth it. That's a big call to make when you're, you know, how old were you, 20, oh, something yeah, like that? Yeah, 20, 21. Yeah. It was a big call, but I was, um, I had just started at the restaurant that I really credit with teaching me everything. Okay. And that gave me, like, so much confidence and hope. Because okay. what I was learning there was um, the stuff that I really wanted to be learning. Okay, tell me about that restaurant. Well, um, I had been. There were a couple restaurants in Athens that were really well known, and they were run by Chef Hugh Atchison, okay. um, who now is relatively famous for being a judge on Top Chef. Okay, but at the time was kind of the local hero chef in town. He was the best chef in town; everyone knew it. Um, and he had kind of brought fine dining to Athens. Can I can I pause right Please, there yeah. and, and just if anybody's not familiar with Athens, I I know it enough um, to be dangerous, um, <laughs> but. Tremendous uh, cultural community there, uh, very artistic, uh, great food scene. But but just kind of paint the picture of what Athens was like at that yeah. time. It's always been you know really progressive in yeah. in you know in a lot of ways. But yeah. just kind of paint the picture of Athens at that time. Man, Athens was then and now um, was so special. Um, especially then, it's changed a lot. I think um, you know the the better the university gets, the more money it brings in, mm-hmm. um, and the more the university's gotten significantly more difficult to get into mm. since I went there. Mm-hmm. Um, my father also went there, and okay. it was much more difficult um, to get in when I went than when he went. Okay. So it's it's really like always getting tougher and tougher and bringing in wealthier wealthier people, um, but. Man, back then it was. It, a lot of people called it Neverland back okay. then. Um, rents were super cheap. Yeah. Um, and you could live really close to town. I never had a car. Yeah. Um, I yeah. biked everywhere. It was very hot, but um, and humid, but it was great. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, a lot of walking and biking. The city is laid out in such a way that um, there's plenty of parking, but it's, you know, if you work in the food and beverage industry, which has always been thriving in Athens, then you can afford to live nearby and walk, which is something that's very different from a place like Asheville, say, yeah. where it's just so expensive that you just can't, you yep. know? So you have to live in Hendersonville or, or Weaverville or whatever if you yep. want to work in the industry and you have to drive in and park. And that just changes the whole dynamic of the city. Yeah, um, Athens was and always has been really an amazing music scene. Yeah. So there were national acts at multiple venues every night of the week. I mean, yeah. on a Wednesday night, there would you know be somebody incredible coming through. Yeah. Um, so that was really special. But there was a real community of food and beverage professionals there, as well as university people. And um, you know, it, the transient nature of a university town means that there's always fresh blood coming through and yep. new ideas coming through. Yep. Um, and there's always people that are maybe maybe they're studying American literature like me, but they're also really into X. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you would get people that would be bartenders, but um, musicians, and then they would be like, "Hey, my band's taking off, and we're going to Europe for the entire summer." And yeah. like. Yeah. I'll be back, but I'm going to go, <laughs> you know, and they would be, you would read about them online. Like yeah. they were really good. So there was a real sense of, um, there was everything in Athens was a, a pretty high level, yeah. I guess is what I'm saying. Yep. Um, but in a really casual way. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and, and the, the picture I have in my head at least is, is of a, it's a classic Southern, you know, downtown scene, except that in a university town, you get something, um, uh, you you have a lot of energy, um, fantastic nightlife, mm, uh, yes. all that stuff. Yes. So um, okay, so let's take back to oh yeah to the restaurant. Well, I when I was thinking when I was thinking about leaving college, I was um, you know kind of the path for someone with my degree is to go teach somewhere yep. um, as an English teacher in high school for a while, and then get them to pay for your uh, graduate degree. Yeah. And maybe then um, get into a graduate program and get your doctorate and then teach at the university level. It's a really long path. Yeah. And um, you just don't make that money, much money yeah. as a high school teacher. And I found out how much money the, the career waiters in town at the nice restaurants were making. And it was more than I would ever make as a teacher. And yeah. I was like, oh, I can do this. Yeah. So I think I showed up in my like cutoff jean shorts and like a Star Wars t-shirt or something. Yeah. And they were like, well, you like you don't look like front of house material, but we do have a cook position open. Um, And I told them that I had never cooked anything ever, which was true. Uh So growing up, we we would pick all our own food. And, you know, we grew corn, we grew beans, we grew herbs. Um, But I never did the cooking. That was my mom's thing. Yeah. Um, And so I had gotten all the way to senior year of college, like really not even knowing how to fry an egg. Wow. So they, they told me like, yeah, well, you know, we'll give you a shot and come back you know, Thursday or whatever. So I showed up and they were like, all right, get out your knives, get out the cutting board, grab a cutting board and uh, start dicing onions. And I was like, I don't have knives. I don't know where the cutting boards are. And I've never diced an onion. What's an onion? Yeah. And the look on their face was like, oh no. Uh, (laughs) But if you have a big slab of marble, I can make some ice cream in public. Exactly. Um, And the kitchen at that time was really stacked with really great people. A lot of them are still in the industry. Some of them own their own businesses now. And I'm still friends with them. Um, and it was really tough, but I went from total neophyte to sous chef in a year and a half. Wow. Um, I really, like all my friends had left. They were all, you know, moving on with their lives. But I was stay- I stayed in Athens. Um, uh, my girlfriend moved away. We, we broke up. And I was just kind of like living this monkish life where I spent all my paycheck on cookbooks. And every yeah. chance I got, I went to another city to go eat. And um, just talked food, read about food, studied food, read cookbooks all day long. Yeah. Um, and worked really, really hard to get to a place where I felt, um, like I wasn't letting the team down. Yeah. And that took a long time, but I eventually did get to that place. Yeah. Um, and it was, uh, it was amazing. It was really special. Uh, it's interesting to hear that, that in, in that environment that, that no doubt is high pressure, um, mm-hmm. other people operating at a very high level mm-hmm. that, um, that your response to, uh, the, the the environment in there is I've got to I've got to raise my game right um, and uh, and that's that's fascinating tell me like paint us a picture of that that year and a half in that restaurant yeah. kind of what what the what the day to day was like and yeah. some of the some of the things they tasked you with and how you learned well um, yeah so there were a few stations in the restaurant um, 
most restaurants are based on the brigade system, um, which is a system um, of French organizations, very militaristic, but it really works. Um, but this restaurant wasn't quite big enough to have a full brigade, but um, there was two dishwashers. Let's just talk about a busy night. Okay. Those are the important nights. So there's two dishwashers, um, and then there's uh, two people working the uh, garde manger station, the apps and like salad station. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's uh, someone working the middle, and they would make a couple dishes, but they were mostly in charge of expediting the tickets. Okay. So, you know, if, let's say, you get a bunch of salmon orders in, and then you get a steak order in, and then you get a pork order in, and then you get another steak and another pork, you, may, you, be, you group all those together, and that's called a push. Okay. And so they would be in charge of organizing the pushes. Um, and, you know, it's really a Herculean team effort to get a lot of really expensive ingredients hot on a plate at the same time to a table it's really intense yeah and um so then there was a fish station and a grill station so there's a lot of cooks and then there was an expediter on the other side and then food runners servers bartenders barbacks uh, bussers things like that um and all for a 40 seat restaurant is pretty small with with a bar um it was it was fine dining for sure yeah um and I started out on that Garmanger station learning. Um, we had a little pizza oven, and we had to look, cook these little mini flatbreads too. Um, but we'd do, we'd do a couple salads, some flatbreads, some cheese plates, some meat plates. Um, and it, I remember it being really hard. I don't think, um, like, I tell my staff now that, you know, my, my restaurant Timber is, like, the easiest restaurant job I've ever had. Wow. And I don't know if that's – I don't know if that's actually true, but it is – a lot easier than it was then because I just like, I didn't know anything. So I didn't know that this cheese should be served at this temperature or that this, um, flatbread was like not fully cooked or whatever, just cause I didn't have the experience. And yeah. so, um, I just remember every ship being like claw, trying to claw your way out of this giant hole and I would make mistakes, like spill salt everywhere and stuff like that. <laughs> and, um, well, I wonder if it's one of those, it, one of those things where it does, it doesn't actually get easier. You just, you yeah. just get better. You just get better. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that could be, but I worked my way down the line and I was able to work every position eventually after about a year and a half. Yeah. Um, and that was great. You know, you would work a busy night, a uh, football Saturday and you would cook like 50 steaks and 60 pork and, yeah. um, you would do it all yourself. And it was really cool. I yeah. mean, that's a pretty special feeling. Yeah. Well, and, and there's also a connection to when you know you've hit on something that's, that it's really working for you where you go, this is really hard. And there, yeah. there's two two reactions you can have. Yeah. This this is really hard, and I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. Or this is really hard, and this is where I'm supposed to supposed to be. Right, like this right. is this is what I want to master. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's fascinating. Uh, so a year and a half there. Yeah. And then like, where did that take you? Well, I think I stayed a little bit longer after that as a sous chef. So I think I was ultimately there for like two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that restaurant was called the national Mm -hmm. and it was owned by partially by Hugh Atchison, but, um, it was also owned by this, uh, by the chef named Peter Dale, Mm -hmm. who was really a mentor for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and he really kind of took me under his wing as did his sous chef, Patrick Stubbers. And they really, you know, they saw how much I wanted it. Mm -hmm. And so they really took me under their wing and mentored me, which was really special. Um, the other restaurant that was owned in Athens by Hugh, it's still owned by him was called five and 10. Okay. And that was little, so the national was, you know, Spanish flavors Mm -hmm. with local Southern ingredients. And, um, five and 10 was really, uh, Southern flavors with maybe some European technique, French and Italian technique. Mm -hmm. And, um, they were moving to a new building. So I went, um, they were moving the restaurant, 5 and 10 was. And so I went and kind of, it's called staging, where you go and, you know, work for free and um, just spend a little time in somebody else's kitchen okay. and learn. And usually they feed you or hook you up. And they really liked me and offered me a job to come and help them move to the new building. Um, but, you know, the other guys at the restaurant were, were joking and making fun of me, saying, like, opening a new restaurant is really just taking stickers off plates, you know. <laughs> and uh, we still joke about that at Timber because we just opened it. And yeah. it really is just taking stickers off plates. So I stayed. They convinced me to stay. And um, we started talking about doing our own thing, um, opening a restaurant um, down the street, which they ended up opening called Sea Bear Oyster Bar, 
um, and it's thriving. Um, they're doing great. Um, amazing place, really casual, um, really fun, amazing seafood, some of the best in the South. Yeah. But I met this girl (laughs) and, uh, decided to go with her. Um, she's now my wife, Diana Moreland, Mm -hmm. and she, um, was a PhD candidate at UGA about to go on, it's called a match program, you know, where you rank universities and they rank you or hospitals and you go and do an externship for a year. Okay. Um, and so, uh, I, we got engaged before we knew where we were going to move. Yeah. And, um, she got placed in Richmond, Virginia. Okay. So, yeah. um, I decided to move with her and we got married and moved to Richmond, Virginia and lived there for a year while she did her externship at a, um, at a hospital there. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So you explored the Richmond food scene, I imagine. Richmond food scene was exploding at that time. Yeah. Um, and I think they, you know, Hugh, I guess I forgot to mention Hugh, uh, had written a, a very popular cookbook and opened a, a big time restaurant in Atlanta called Empire State South, which is okay. still there. And that had really propelled him to sort of national fame and uh-huh. acclaim. And he, he was really at the height of his career then. Um, and he really showed me what a career in food and beverage could be like because mm-hmm. I mean, he really made it. You know, he was providing for his family, he had these um, three amazing restaurants. And um, he had written a book, which is, you know, as an English nerd, that's always a dream yeah. of mine and something I will definitely do at some point. And so um, I really saw where that would take him, uh, where, where that could take me, I guess. But when I moved to Richmond, um, the food scene was still developing. And um, I got the chance to work at two restaurants there, um, the Roosevelt, which recently closed after a, a long run. And then... Um, about that, yeah. And then uh, Dutch and Company, which I think is still there. Okay. Um, and two very different restaurants. I got about six months of experience at each and uh-huh. learned a lot. Um, and the Richmond food scene was was growing, but it really has come into its own at, since I've I moved away. I okay. mean, it was growing and expanding, but now it's pretty pretty amazing. Um, I could sit here and talk to you about this like <laughs> all day. <laughs> yeah. um, l- let's let's uh, fast forward to uh, when you land in Johnson City. Yeah. Um, how long ago was that, and how did you start tiptoeing into the uh, Johnson City food scene? Yeah, so my wife finished her um, finished her time in Richmond and did a postdoctoral fellowship in Ann Arbor, Michigan, for oh, two years. Yeah, um, and then it was time to like go find a real job, like yep. a professor job. Yep. And she interviewed all over the country, and it came down to two places: um, Johns Hopkins in Baltimore or ETSU here in Johnson City. Yeah, and meh, Baltimore. Johnson City offered so much more, I think. Um, it offered the chance to live in the mountains, which is something that I've always wanted. Yeah. Um, it was equidistant to both of our families who live in Virginia and Atlanta, respectively. And it um, had an amazing cost of living, and we could afford to buy a house. Yeah. And that was huge. Yeah. Um, you know, that's that's a really that was really important for us. We wanted to start a family. And so... Um, so we pulled the trigger on Johnson City, not only because it was a great fit for her um, professionally, and not only because it was a great place f- for us to live as a family, but it also, I could see that there was a ton of potential here to do what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. which was to open my own restaurant and contribute to a community in a meaningful way. Yeah. Um, not only through food, but through you know any way that I can. Yep. Um, growing up in the suburbs, my family wasn't really, we contributed to our church. That was great. But as far as the geographic area around us, we just really didn't do that much. And um, we just lived in anonymity. And I realized, you know, that I hated that. And I yeah. wanted to live somewhere where I could make a difference and, and give back. Yeah. Um, and John City was perfect for that. Yeah. That's one thing I love about uh, Johnson City. I went to a small college. Yeah. Uh, and one thing I loved about going to a small college was you could get deeply involved. Yeah. Like you could like run something at a right. small college. Right. Um, and you know everybody. Yeah. And I, and I think the same opportunity is there for almost anybody in Johnson City is is you can get deeply involved and you can you can be the guy or the woman who is who knows you know this thing or is the key to that or, or yeah. whatever and um and you also at the grocery store and at filling your gas tank and all that yeah. you see other people that are you know have committed themselves or yeah. involved and um yeah it's a, you can you can definitely get involved and lead in this community and i think that's fantastic yeah. uh, you you're a great example it's you know no no roots here per se and now you've um you 
took the John City 101 class. Is that right? Oh, I did. What a great class. Um, and, so great. and that kind of gives a, a, a high level view of, of everything that goes on in the city. Um, and, and, and you serve on a, on a city board. Is that right? Yeah. I'm the chairman of the historic zoning commission. Okay. Um, which is a, a thrill. I mean, uh, it's a real pleasure. Um, it, the historic zoning commission here has, you know, John city is really going through a sea change. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're growing and changing. People are moving here. People like me that, um, just have fallen in love with the place. Um, and more businesses are being opened, um, here. We, we, you know, we're required to submit a report to the city commission every year as the historic zoning commission kind of outlining what, um, what took place under our purview. Mm-hmm. And this was the, one of the busiest years of all time oh. for, um, applications to historic zoning for new signage, for new businesses, for things like that. And, um, so that's, it's really special to be able to, you know, aid in protecting the character of our downtown yep. while at the same time fostering growth. Yeah. Yeah. It's really special. Yeah. I love it. I mean, yeah, you mentioned John city One Hundred and One. That was an amazing class. And for those that don't know, um, it's offered in the summers. It's about an eight to 10 week course. I think some, I think they did it on Tuesdays around five and, um, they would, you know, get some dinner catered and take us to a different, uh, city department every week. Yeah. Um, fire department, police department, water sewer. So get to really learn um, what it looks like to run a city. Um, And it was really, really special. And it got me really excited and engaged. And um, I'm very active in the, in in the city government as much as I can be to contribute. Your, your first uh, expression of, of your, your skills and talents and, and passion for food in Johnson city was, was it the Orchard Mason down the it street. Was. Yeah. Okay. So that was a really fun project. Um, it was a pop up inside Dos Gatos Coffee Bar. Yeah. We were open Monday through Friday, which is kind of the during nine to five, or well, I guess it was seven to three. Okay. Um, which is kind of the dream job for any chef. Yeah. Because I got to hang out on with my wife on the weekends, which was really fun. And um, yeah, we would serve breakfast and lunch and we did some, some really special food. Dick Nelson, you know, always be indebted to him for him giving me that opportunity to be able to pop up there. I had some tiny, tiny equipment. It was just me, um, cooking there. Um, and yeah, I mean, if we got, if we got busy, I mean, I was just busting it. Um, but had so much fun working with those baristas and working, you know, downtown it was really special and it really helped you know kind of introduce me and my my work and my cooking to the city yeah and I, a lot of people i mean i was very flattered they really loved it i mean the people were really excited about some of the things that i did yeah um and i was really proud there were some some dishes like the egg and cheese sandwich that i made that was just i mean i still think about that thing <laughs> uh, it was just so good yeah so um that was really cool. But that, it also provided me the opportunity to network with local farmers and producers and yep. build relationships with purveyors and distributors, um, all of which would be integral to opening timber and like understanding the, you know, cause I come from the deeper South. So I know a lot of those producers and like the people that make stuff down there, but, um, you know, I wanted to find out who makes it, who makes the good stuff up here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that I was very instructive. I learned a lot. Is that a trial and error process or, or just, Word of mouth, you, you know, know it, one great guy will refer you to another lady that, that does this and yeah. kind of works that way. Or? Yeah, kind of. I mean, yeah, definitely. I'm very, I think I'm very good at networking and I, I try to make sure that I follow up like, oh, I heard you make cheese. Like, yeah, I'm not going to let you leave here without telling you about this cheese. <laughs> right. Um, but also, you know, sometimes you just have to have to buy something and see if it's, if you like it or if it's good or, or what you thought it would be. Yeah. And there is, so, there is some trial and error there for sure. There were a couple of products I was like, well, everyone likes this, but it's not really my thing. Okay. Um, but for the most part, I mean, so much amazing stuff. Um, I got to get introduced to Sequatchie Cove Creamery, which is over near Chattanooga, mm-hmm. and they make some unbelievable raw cow's milk cheese, like some of the best in the in the country. Yeah, we serve it at Timber right now, um, and it's just it's just incredible stuff. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Did you when you uh, were running the Orchard Mason, grinding it out there by yeah. yourself? Yeah. Did you have a picture in your mind of of what Timber would ultimately be? You know, that's such a great question. So originally my business partner and I were, you know, we launched the Orchard Mason as a experiment Mm -hmm. because it never brought in like large volumes of cash, Mm -hmm. but we wanted to make sure that we could hit our percentages, you know, so that we could run a viable business. Even if our profit was a dollar, like we knew that it was never a profit making enterprise. It was to know that we could run a good business and to kind of build our systems. And that part thrived and succeeded. But we had our eye on another building. At a whole different concept. Okay. Um, 
which eventually we may ultimately do. But um, this opportunity came along to open timber in that building on West Walnut. Um, The other opportunity was downtown. And I think West Walnut is just amazing. I live two blocks from the restaurant. Okay. Um, I love it there. Uh, I love the tree streets. I'm the vice president of the neighborhood organization. So I really enjoy that neighborhood, and I've been actively working to improve it. I recently helped interface with the city to get swing top trash cans, like a oh, yeah. better trash can system there, yep. um, which has really cut down on our rodent and bug population, yep. um, which is huge. So I really wanted to be on West Walnut when that opportunity came along. I couldn't really say no. Um, and the, you know, Timber's inside the old acoustic coffee house building, which was a very well-loved establishment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, while the building was kind of a mess and we had our work cut out for us, it was a well-known location um, and that I think that made it easy for for me to make that decision. Well, and and you're positioned so well for uh, for the next X number of years, and it and it's such a such a key spot uh, because you can I mean you can you can walk from ETSU to downtown yeah. and enjoy or the tree streets to yeah. downtown and um, you know stop into this place and that place and have a have a a, a burger or a shake or a beverage along the way. That's it's, right. The way it's all connecting right there. Um, I think the the future for West Walnut is very bright, and I'm sure you're involved in a lot of the discussions that are happening around West Walnut right mm-hmm. now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the West Walnut redevelopment is just going to be amazing. I'm so excited. Um, I think there's the final public meeting for public input this Thursday, um, but they're so close to pulling the trigger and should be you know breaking ground in the next you know year or so. Yeah. Um, so many great improvements. I mean, bike lanes, tree plantings, uh, sidewalk widening. Um, uh, speed bumps, lowering the, breaking out the cross sections, lowering the s- uh, speed limit, um, burying the utilities. I mean, they're yeah. just going to do so much work. And I so deeply appreciate the city being, you know, taking that vision and really executing it. Um, I just, that's the kind of city that I want to live in. I just have so much respect for the people that have made this happen. Were you here a few years ago when they were, when they were, Scrapping buildings and building Founders Park and, and all that. Was that a little bit before your time? That was a little before my okay. time, but actually that was a huge reason that we decided to move here. Yeah. Because we saw that what was happening, you know, we walked around Founders Park and people told us this used to be just like a flooding b- bunch of buildings and a total yeah. mess. And I was just like, this is a progressive city. Like yeah. these people are making great decisions. There's, there's smart people here. Yeah. My my feeling from from that process and and what's what's coming up on West Walnut Street is uh, there's a little construction yeah uh, there was a, a little bit of madness for a little bit but yeah. um, but what was behind it what was driving it all and the result that we have now yeah. is totally worth it absolutely totally worth it absolutely so uh, so yeah we may um, West Walnut maybe. Uh, kind of a mess as they bury utilities and things like <laughs> yeah, that. You may have yeah. to dodge some cones, but my gosh, I bet it'll be worth it when it's when it's done. That's right. Um, so, tell me about the planning and organizing for for timber and what your what your vision was and 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 what you make happen yeah. um, there now. Well, you know the, the the idea behind timber is based off of so many different things, but um, one of my favorite businesses in the world is called Normal Bar. And it's in Normal Town, which is a neighborhood in Athens. Okay. And um, it was a neighborhood that it's been open for like ten years now. But I went on opening night. Oh wow! Um, and it was a neighborhood that was really starved for like a local bar, a casual place where not a dive, but not fancy. Yep. Um, where everyone was welcome, and there was you know beer, wine, cocktails, whatever you wanted, kind of a full bar situation. Yeah. And that was really what I wanted to provide for the neighborhood. So um, that was that was the main goal. And Normal Bar in Athens doesn't serve food. Um, so we thought about not serving food, but ultimately we decided that we just should, um, because I'm, you know, that's my profession and I've spent a lot of time like learning how to do that. (laughs) Right. And so we figured that that's what we would do. And we, we wanted to keep it fairly casual. Um, but we also, you know, we, we were not never sure exactly what it was that people wanted, but we knew that we had the skills to give it to them. So that's been a really, um, fun part of the process is we really set out to create a very casual, affordable neighborhood restaurant. Yep. Um, which I think, you know, I don't, there, there are a lot of neighbor places that I would call across the country, like neighborhood restaurants mm-hmm. that are also, they also contribute to the national conversation about food and mm-hmm. about what it means to be a neighborhood restaurant. And that's the kind of neighborhood restaurant that I'm trying to run. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So we have a lot of fun and challenging ingredients on the menu, um, things that maybe people have never had before, like different Amari or um, certain beers or um, some funky wines, yeah. things like that. But we also have classics that you know you can always get. Um, you can always get a, a ice cold can of old style or yeah. an Narragansett lager. Yeah, um, you can get uh, some you know great local IPAs, things from Asheville and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so. We also have tried to branch out and learn, you know, me and my staff are always learning about Appalachian ingredients, you know, being from the deeper South, yeah. I don't, I didn't grow up with creasy greens or greasy beans or anything like that. Yeah. So those are, um, things that we were able to experiment a little with over the summer, but we're really looking forward to this spring. It's kind of just saying yes to a lot of farmers produce yeah. and figuring out how to use it in a way that people love and enjoy. But the process for opening, you know, the restaurant, it was tough. Um, we decided to do all the work that, you know, we didn't need a permit for or anything like that, yeah. like demolition and simple things. Um, we did ourselves. Okay. So um, we were in there every day in overalls, just grinding it out. Um, yeah. And there were a lot of times that uh, I just thought, like, there's just no way that this is going to look cool at the end. Yeah. Um, but it really came out well. And that was in large part due to, you know, one of my business partners, Kevin, who is just so good with his hands and good at building things and has, he's a little older and has, you know, built buildings and things his whole life. And yeah. so, um, he was really helpful. Um, and the building owner, Brent long, an amazing guy who really, you know, helped support us and, you know, give us good advice. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're thrilled with how the building came out, but it was also really instructive to work with the city. Um, on getting that project done because I learned like how to go about that process, what needs a permit, what doesn't, um, how long it's going to take, things like that. And yeah. I had, you know, I think sometimes the city gets a bad rap, but I had just the best experience. Good. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was very smooth and really appreciated, you know, everybody that were, helped us out. Yeah. Um, the response, at least in, in my uh, opinion, what I know is that um, people love your place. Um, oh, that's very nice. It's a it's a fun place to eat, um, and uh, and it does have that, like you said, that neighborhood feel. Like yeah. it's uh, very very uh, comforting, and it's a good place to be. Um, I've got some uh, I've got some lightning round questions for <laughs> okay, you. Okay, awesome. If you're ready for this, yeah, definitely. Um, all right, so no right or wrong answer, just whatever uh, comes to mind. What's your favorite vacation spot? Oh man, out west. Okay. Um, yeah, San Juan Islands. Um, something like that. I, I, my grandparents live in Idaho, so uh -huh. I love to go out to Idaho. Oh yeah. It. Yeah. It's amazing. Gorgeous spot. Yeah. Favorite coffee drink? Uh, cappuccino. That's what I get at Dos Gatos almost every day. Mm -hmm. Favorite gas station snack? Oh, beef jerky. <laughs> Are you like a teriyaki guy, a spicy guy? Um, what, uh, what's I it like, like black pepper is like one of my favorite flavors. So I have black pepper jerky in my car right now. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one cocktail for the rest of your life. What is it? I would say Manhattan mm. classic. That's what I end up making at home all the time. I love that. Uh, guilty pleasure food. Pine of Ben and Jerry's baby. <laughs> no question. Ice cream. Can't shake the ice cream. Yeah. Uh, what's one thing almost nobody knows about you? Oh, okay. Well, this is a tough for a lightning round. Almost nobody knows about me. Um, I'm an Eagle Scout. Are you really? Yeah. Me too. Oh, that's cool. Awesome. Small yeah. world. Yeah. Um, yeah. Counts for something. Yeah. Uh, what's one thing a home chef can do to improve the quality of their cooking? Uh, good cookware. Cast iron pan is huge. Um, you know, I, I have had a, I finally have a gas range at my house, but yeah. I have had electric ranges for years and years and years. And you can get a, a cast iron pan pretty hot and get it, do a good job with a, electric burner even just a crappy coil or glass top you can do a pretty good job with cast iron gas is the standard though that's what you want uh well i'm really big on induction okay but most people don't know about induction but it you know it uses uh electromagnets to induce oh. heat and it gets the pan the metal to resonate at a certain frequency that induces heat in the metal so it's hyper efficient yeah it's pretty cool i have one at the restaurant if you ever want to come do you really oh yeah it's cool would, yeah yeah all right let's do some pairings okay oh yeah tell me what beverage you would put with these foods. Okay. Five Guys Fries. Oh, Five Guys Fries. I would go IPA mm -hmm. or maybe like a Sierra Pale Ale. 
like mm-hmm. something crisp and hoppy. Mm-hmm. Definitely ice cold. Um, yeah. Handful of pretzels. Oh, handful of pretzels. I am a big uh, bourbon on the rocks drinker. Yeah. I love Turkey 101, and that would be perfect with that. Uh, spaghetti and sauce out of a jar. <laughs> well, my mom used to serve that all the time in the 90s, and the yeah. classic pairing was milk. Uh, <laughs> but I cannot recommend that. Uh, I would go, I actually might go like a crisp white wine. Um, maybe like not like an unoaked Chardonnay, like nothing buttery. Mm. But, uh, or maybe a really light red, like a Gamay. That mm-hmm. could be good. Chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. Oh, you know, I learned this a long time ago when I worked in the ice cream business. But, Ice cold glass of ice water or cold seltzer is an unbelievable pairing with ice cream. Really? Oh, dude, you got to try it. Like, I mean, you really think of cold water. You think of the old like soda shops, soda counter at like the drugstore or whatever. There's always like a seltzer fountain there. Yeah, right. Hmm. Oh, man, I got, I mean, you got me thinking about it. I might have to do that for dinner. But like ice cream with cold water is so good. I like it. Yeah. I'll have to try it. Waffle House hash browns smothered, oh, covered, yes. and chunked. No, excuse me, scattered, smothered, covered. I mean, black coffee. But, the only way. Yeah. My only beef with I love bad black coffee. Yeah, bad black coffee. I love Waffle House so much, um, and my I grew up. My dad loves Waffle House. Yeah, so, I mean he's from he's yeah. from Savannah, Georgia, and so we would go to Waffle House when I was a kid. My only beef with them is like the mugs are have, they're so big and yeah. they they have so much thermal mass that by the time the coffee goes in, it's like not really quite hot. Yep. I like really hot coffee. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean you got to do coffee. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Pimento cheese sandwich. Um, so I serve pimento cheese sandwiches every year at my master's party. So uh, of course. For the master's, yeah. know, being from Georgia, I love to. It's a little taste of home for me. Yeah. Ice cold martini, baby. Oh. Yeah. Gin martini. Nice. Very good. Um, original Chick-fil-A sandwich. <sighs> Got to go original Chick-fil-A lemonade. <laughs> so good. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, honey nut Cheerios. Oh, man. I'm a whole milk guy, so... Whole milk, honey nut Cheerios. That's the way I would do it. Nice. Yeah. All right. You passed. You, you survived that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now we're going to do lightning around pairings oh, off your own menu. That's awesome. I love this. Okay. Hopefully this this shouldn't be too hard, I guess. Yeah, yeah. What would you put with your chicken wings? Okay. So the chicken wings, um, we now have four flavors. Um, so we have the sticky umami, mm-hmm. which is like a fish sauce caramel. So it's pretty funky. Yeah. We have the um, ranch dusted, which is just ranch powder. They're like ridiculously good yeah uh we have the johnson city hot which are ultra spicy Mm. um they're amazing kind of like a nashville hot and then we have the szechuan lemon pepper which is our newest flavor and that's my favorite yeah so i would pair that with um what would i pair that with i would probably do we have this um lager on the menu the elkmont uh exchange Mm -hmm. lager which is from i think knoxville and it's just a great light lager, maybe under 5%. Yeah. Um, and that goes so well. kind of helps wash away the numbing um, quality of the Szechuan. Without killing you with a ton of flavor. Right, exactly. I mean, you know, overpowering flavor. Right. Uh, what would you put with your smoked and marinated tofu sandwich? Oh, smoked and marinated tofu sandwich is really good. We just actually changed it to a deep fried tofu oh, sandwich. Oh, nice. That's even better. Mm. But the smoked and marinated, that's a good question. What would I do with that? I think, I think I might go with a porter. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a what porter do we have on? I think we had the Bell's porter for a while mm-hmm. um, from Michigan, yep. and that was good. It has a, it's not smoked, but it does have a little smoky malt character. Yep. I think that would go really well because the dark flavors of the tofu. I mean, it's pretty heavily smoked. It's soaked in soy sauce for yeah. a couple days, wow. so it was a good sandwich. Um, yeah, porter would be good. Uh, and what goes with your braised pork shoulder? Uh, pork shoulder, I would probably go. We actually had someone come in the last night um, and ask us this question. Yeah. And we ended up giving them, we have two great red wines right now. We have a, a Longa Nebbiolo from the Longa region of Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pretty intense and um, uh, it's heavy. Yeah. But it really needs to be open for a few hours before it kind of opens up. And we didn't have a bottle open. So oh. I would recommend that. As, uh, but if you don't have a bottle open, then what we ended up giving them was our new wine, which is um, uh, it's a Spanish red, uh, a Priorat, 
uh, from the Priorat region, and it's called the Luno. Okay. Great bottle. Um, we, if you're listening to this, we have tons of it still at the restaurant. Um, highly recommended. It has like a little bit of funk to it, um, and that goes really well with the pork. And uh, so, like I said, we it was somebody's birthday last night, a yeah. local chef that came in, and he loved that pairing. So, oh, nice. So that turned out great. Awesome. Um, we are just about out of time, but I wanted to say uh, thank you for uh, uh, thank you for opening Timber. Like it's a great oh, contribution to, to Johnson City, mm. making a lot of people happy. That's cool. That's uh, what it's all about, man. And uh, and thank you for being here today. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Oh, also before we go, where can people find you online? Oh yeah, so uh, check me out at um, on Instagram. That's where I'm most active. Uh, my my handle is that brand uh, at that brand. And then if you ever want to shoot me an email, feel free. It's brand.nate at gmail.com. My, uh, my daily goal is an empty email inbox, so oh, I will respond. <laughs> Respect that. Yeah. All right. Nathan Brandt, thank you for being here today. Thank you.